0: Uh, all of the men would be clean-shaven, kind of as a cultural expectation for us as we were going into these universities uh, to meet with students and to share the gospel. And so, for the sake of the gospel, I begrudgingly uh, sheared off all my hairs. And um, at one point, over just a couple weeks that we were there, I uh, had a conversation with the missionary about it. And I'll never never forget what he said to me. He said that as he 's worked with college students year after year and brings them in and always gives them this request, he said that it always amazed him that if he were to ask these guys to to come on this mission trip and to to sleep on the ground outside every night uh, to use the bathroom in a hole out in the woods uh, to eat bugs, they, they would do it without complaint. But as soon as he says that they need to wear a tie to the university every day and to shave their face well. Uh, you you would have thought they were he was Pharaoh himself taking away uh, their their straw for the for the work that they had in front of them, and and I was I was humbled and and chastened by it. I don't think he directed it towards me, but the Lord had in His kindness that word for me, because I realized that I wasn't even willing to risk my beard for the sake of the gospel. Praise God that that does not describe our Savior. Amen? Amen. In our passage tonight, we'll see all that he was willing to offer in submission and in adoration to his Father. And I pray that the same would be said of us. And so if you would, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 50. Now, as you're turning there, let me just give some brief context. Uh, Isaiah... Uh, was a prophet in Judah before the exile. And, and his book that bears his name can be broken up into three parts. So the first part would be uh, chapters 1 through 39. In chapters 1 through 39, Isaiah is speaking to his contemporaries about the impending exile that will come as a punishment on them as a people. He's, he's telling them why and how it's going to come. And then, starting in chapter 40, 40 through 55, he jumps way into the future and begins to speak about the realities of life after the exile. When by God's great mercy, he has has, uh, redeemed his people and he has brought them home. And so he is writing uh, to his peers, his contemporaries, to give them hope through the exile, as well as to those people who will one day experience the hope of their return. And then the last few chapters, uh, the last 11 chapters or so, uh, uh, unveil that uh, Israel's role is to then be a light to the nations because they are a rescued people. So when we find ourselves in Isaiah chapter 50, we find ourselves smack dab in the middle of that second section. And throughout Isaiah 40 through 55, you're gonna find these contrasts between two servants, So the first servant is the people of Israel. And and this servant is marked by the fact that they are blind, they are rebellious, they are fearful, and they are guilty of much sin. And yet, God is going to use them as messengers of their own redemption. And then four times in this section, he's going to reveal the great righteous servant, who stands in complete contrast to the people of Israel. And, and this servant, he is, he is obedient, he is submissive, he suffers, but he is guiltless. And God's going to use him to redeem those people. And so, as I said, there are four of these songs in this section, and our passage tonight is in the middle of the third one. And as these songs come along, they're going to escalate building and building until we get to Isaiah 53, the grand picture of the suffering servant. And so I'm going to read for us this whole song, but we're going to focus particularly right in the middle on verse six. And so this was what was listed in your worship guide this morning. Starting in verse four, Isaiah 50, verse four, it says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. That I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I did not face, I, excuse me, I did not hide. My face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. What I think we're to understand from our passage tonight, particularly verse 6, which reads, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. I think what we're to understand is that the example and the expectation of Christ is that we... Will face opposition to the gospel willingly and unashamedly. That the, the example and the expectation of Christ is that we will face opposition to the gospel willingly and unashamedly. And so here we see the willing example of Christ in our passage. As we have studied throughout Mark we have seen how willing Christ was to go to the cross. We not only saw that march toward the cross in our passage, particularly this morning, but even as we look back over the chapters that have led towards the passion of Christ, we have seen him humbly and purposefully headed towards that cup of God's wrath to drink it on our behalf. And so we're to, we're to look to that example. He was a willing example. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. But this is not only the example of his willingness, this is also the expectation of Christ that we would be willing as well. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42, he says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. This is the expectation here of Christ. He has not only given us that example, but he expects that of us. But how could he expect this of us? How is it possible that we could follow his example? Well, it's not merely that he is an example, but that he is the very power in us to follow that example. It's not merely that Christ is the, 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 the stoic who who walks calmly to the gallows. He's not the, the rebel who, who takes off his, um, his mask so he can, he can look the, the, the shooters in the eye as, they, as he faces his executioners. No, no, no. What we have here is the very one who goes to be the sacrificial lamb, who goes to be the one who dies on the cross for our sins and who enables us to follow in this example. It is only in his righteousness that we are able to follow his righteousness. And, and we see that in our, in our very passage. The expectation is that he's not doing this in his own strength. It was why we needed to read more than just verse six, because we needed to recognize that the key character in, in our passage in this song is not the servant It's the Lord God. The Lord God is at work here. In our our verses, we saw that in verse 4, it's the Lord God who has given me the tongue uh, of those who are taught. In verse 5, it's the Lord God who has opened my ear. It is the Lord God, in verse 7, who helps me. In verse 9, behold, the the Lord God helps me. The NIV translates this term, the sovereign Lord. To help us to see his his all-encompassing power and his ability to enable. The only way the suffering servant is able to bear up as he does, willingly and unashamedly, is because of the power of God. If we are to willingly face the opposition to the gospel that we are promised to face, we have to do it through the power of the sovereign God. We cannot do this in our own strength. This even goes back to our very dependence on him as our Savior. We need his stripes for us to be healed. We need him to be pierced so that we won't be pierced. We need him to take on our sins on his back, his striped back, so that we won't be crushed under those burdens ourselves. Have you trusted in that striped Savior? Or are you continuing to carry those burdens on your own, to shoulder them in a way you cannot bear? Have you trusted him to to remove those by his death? to to wash away your debts, and instead to give you life in his life? As he knew that he was going toward his death, as he tells his disciples in Mark 10, he tells them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. After three days, he will rise. Our Savior willingly faced opposition to the gospel in the power of God because his hope was in God. Have you put your hope in God? If you're here today and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ to be your Savior, we would would call you to that now. Put your hope in God because he rose again. He was not just one who was mocked and spit on and flogged and killed. He was one who rose again. He is our hope. We pray that he would be your hope. Turn and trust in him alone to save you. We all must trust in the sovereign Lord God if we are going to willingly face this opposition to the gospel. But we must also not only do it willingly, as we see in our passage, that he gave his back to those who strike. He gave his cheek to those who pull out the beard, but he also did it unashamedly, unashamedly says in verse 6 there, I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. He did it unashamedly. Hebrews 12 verse 1 tells us that we are to look to Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He despised that shame. We, too, are to despise the shame of the cross, to despise the shame of the opposition to the gospel. We're to hate that we live in a world that opposes the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to hate that we see that in our world and in our own lives. We should despise that. But for the joy set before Christ, we are to follow his example willingly to step into that opposition. Not cowering from the shame. Not running from the shame. Not as one who was rebellious, verse 5 says. I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. But instead, I offered my back. I gave my back to those who strike. We are to do it willingly and unashamedly. And so 1 Peter 2, starting in 22, says... For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if we are to stand against the opposition of the gospel, we need to do it unashamedly and without shamefulness. We need to do it without sin. We need to do it righteously. We don't need to do it sinfully. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God in our lives or into the lives of those who oppose us. Instead, we are to do so humbly as our Savior, trusting not in ourselves, but in him who judges justly, the sovereign Lord. This morning, your elders stood before you and we took vows. One of the vows that I took this morning said, Do you promise to be zealous and faithful? in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account, I do with God's help. I hope that that would be said of all of us. That I wouldn't merely be something that that the elevated men of this church, the leaders, the varsity, that those are the ones expected to do this. But each of us, would take this vow to promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise. And I think this reminds us that there will be two places we might see this opposition that we need to respond to willingly and unashamedly. We will find opposition to the gospel outside these walls. Of course, we expect to find opposition to the gospel outside these walls. And so when we face that, we should do so righteously. Again, Peter is helpful here. In 1 Peter three fourteen. it says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Think carefully how you respond to the opposition we face in this world, whether face-to-face at work or at school or in the home, whether that's how you face it digitally, what's your social media presence, how how do you express yourself and others, how do you express your opinions, how do you defend the gospel, is it marked by gentleness and respect, With a good conscience? Is it marked by righteousness? I would pray that that would be so. But we also must know that we will face opposition from within. I hate to say that we will face opposition even within these walls. When we stand for the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church. I pray that you would not hide your face from disgrace and spitting. Don't hide your face even within these walls when it requires you to stand on the truths of the gospel peacefully promoting that peace but opposing those who would oppose the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ even within these walls. And again, Peter expects this. And so he tells us in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, Finally, all of you have unity of mind. If we're going to do this, we must have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. May that mark how we talk through hard things here together whether those are hard doctrines of the faith, whether they are difficult passages for us to understand, whether they're they're sin in our lives or the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe it's how in the application of those truths or how we work together or are bonded together, may it be marked by these truths that we are unified, sympathetic, showing love and a tender heart towards one another and with a humble mind. And if we oppose the opposition of the gospel this way, we will be unashamed in how we have stood truthfully for the peace and glory of God. Will you give your back to the work of this ministry, of this church, of the gospel? Will you stick out your chin for the sake of the gospel? Or will you hide your face from the shame of opposition? I hope that doesn't mark us. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Christ that we see who so humbly faced the opposition of the gospel to the gospel and yet willfully and unashamedly marched to the cross to save us. Well, we pray that following that example empowered by the work of the gospel and by grace, that we would do the same. And in our conversations in these walls and with those outside of these walls would be marked by the grace and the fearlessness, the boldness that comes from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.